Hey, everybody. Welcome to Investing in Psychedelics. I'm Jeff Siegel with Simeon Schnapper. Simeon, today I want to talk to you about smoking. You and I have both um, consumed cannabis for many years. I, I don't know how long you have been you know, smoking weed. I, I've been smoking weed since I was about maybe 16, 17. Um, not like you know every day or anything, but over the years, um, I've just always enjoyed it. Um, just like some yeah. people just enjoy having a drink. One thing that I was never into, though, was smoking cigarettes. Did you ever mm -hmm. smoke cigarettes? Uh, unfortunately, yeah. It was um, it was never like cool, like grease, or maybe when my dad was coming up with the greaser and the leather jacket and the rolled up <laughs> cigarette pack. But there was a moment, I remember, where um, end of high school – into early college, a lot of people started picking up cigarettes and I started smoking cigarettes. Um, so yeah, and there was definitely a period where I, um, I think it was like, you know, more than, I never like a pack a day, but oh, it just wow. became like the go-to in between classes and let's step outside for a cigarette. And I kind of watched that behavior even in, you know, the corporate world where it was like, that was always an excuse to like step away from your cubicle or your desk or the conference room. And then um, also, you know, having spent time overseas, the uh, having mentioned cannabis, like the, you know, the spleef, like that's still something where you're in another jurisdiction, you're at a cannabis cup somewhere, or just a country where, hey, we have hashish or, or cannabis and we put a little tobacco in it. Right. Um, then, of course, there's the tobaqueros and the time in the Amazon where tobacco is used as a, you know, a medicine and a sacrament. But that's, you know, more in the hoppe and the snuff and everything. Um, but of late, no, um, not so much. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's nicotine is, man, pretty darn powerful. Smoking is, is one of those things that I never fully understood. And I, I mean, I get like when I was younger, people would do it and it was the cool thing to do. And I tried it a few times, um, but I just never really got anything from it. That being said, I've had plenty of people in my family um, who smoke cigarettes their entire lives. Some died early, some smoked until they didn't smoke anymore and they lived another 30, 40 years. Yeah. Um, but it is, I would say, in my opinion, I, th I think smoking is... Um, is is one of those one of those things that is a is a crisis situation. It's, a, it's um, you know we we talk a lot about alcohol addiction. We talk about opioid addiction, but cigarettes, the addiction to cigarette is not cigarettes is not uh, negligible. You know, it's not it, at all. I mean, not at all. And you know, trying to kick it like the times I've kicked it, and I've like I always say I'm I'm not a quitter, <laughs> uh, but you know, stopping right like right. it's been really really hard and even when you know the data right you know it's like you're 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 burning this leaf and it's going into your lung like there's no help like there's no logic in smoking ever right. and yet you know peer pressure and just our current society and it's like well everybody's doing it yeah i remember when all the restaurants started saying no smoking in inside right and I'm in bars too, right? And I spent a lot of time in uh, Chicago. Um, and I just remember, I'm like, oh, this is going to really help. And then it was like, no, now everyone's taking their drink outside or sitting outside so they could smoke. It like made no impact because it's such a strong, 
you know, nicotine is so strong. I mean, some argue it's harder than any, anything else. Like, I don't know from, you know, folks I know who've, you know, kicked heroin or alcohol, um, you know, it's usually a poly addiction and they're like, you know, cigarettes was even harder. And of course there's a, a um, you know, kind of, uh, you know, any sit not sitcom, but a movie or whatever, if there's an AA scene, it's like, there's always that opening medium close up of, you know, shitty styrofoam coffee and, <laughs> you know, an ashtray. Right. So it's like, well, that's okay. So, um, yeah, but for those who've kicked it and then kind of regain their health, cause it's so damaging on uh, that, there's, you know, some potential medicines that have been used kind of in perpetuity around it, uh, hitting those same receptors that kind of, um, need that inhalation in the form of, uh, you know, a cigarette, uh, but it's nicotine, you know, is the main, um, main chemical, um, uh, great promise, great promise in some of the upcoming trials and, um, obviously great promise over the decades and centuries where people have used other things to, you know, kick, kick the habit of, of cigarettes. Well, that was one thing I wanted to bring up today was, um, I, you, I'm sure you remember 2018 when, uh, the Johns Hopkins study was released, um, mm -hmm. where they were, um, using, um, psilocybin therapy to, for, to treat, um, smokers. It was a smoking cessation study. And when it was done, uh, a year later, I believe it was 80% of the people that took part in the study were still smoke-free. They were not smoking. The yeah. current, um, uh, you know, medication or therapy, whatever you want to call it, that's on the market, it's been FDA approved, um, has something like a 30% success rate. Um, so that's a massive difference. And quite frankly, a 30% success rate is not, that's not a success. You know, if you get a 30% on an exam in college, you fail. Uh, right. you know, so, um, so it's interesting to me when that study came out uh, to see, you know, the results were so promising. And I know they kept moving, they're still moving forward to do follow on uh, studies mm -hmm. on that. Um, one of the things I wanted to bring up today was uh, a company that we've talked about before called Midasin. Um, mm -hmm. And Midasin, um, they announced, I believe it was earlier this week, um, that they have partnered with uh, Johns Hopkins University on a study that's evaluating the administration of one of their uh, um, one of one of their uh, therapies molecules. Mm -hmm. I'm going to call it Myco yep, yep. um, with a structured smoking cessation treatment program um, in people that uh, are dependent upon nicotine. Um, yeah. Now that uh, controlled study, it's placebo-controlled study um, with John Hopkins Psychedelic Research Group. Um, it's basically going to look at the efficacy of Myco 001 to treat nicotine nicotine dependence. Um, I, what I think is interesting about this is is, is Midasin is not doing this just kind of on their own. Um, they're, they're working alongside John Hopkins University, which is not new to this. Um, right. Which I think is. It's one of those things that it hit the news streams, but the stock, which by the way, it, you know, this is a publicly traded company, um, trades on the NEO under the symbol MYCO, uh, and also over the counter under the symbol MYCOF. Um, you know, I don't recall the um, the stock really moving that much on this uh, on this story, 
um, which yeah. surprised me. Uh, do you think it's just a lack? Maybe, or maybe, I, maybe I expected too much from it. Um, I don't know if it's a lack of people actually looking for this information in the investment world, or maybe I'm wrong. I mean, does it matter? Do you think it's it's that? No, matter? I don't. I don't think you're wrong at all. I think you're right on right on point. Um, I think it has to do with it's not always in, you know when it's released. You know, from recollection, it was a multi-year agreement with you know the. Um, incredibly well-established and um, uh, impressive Johns Hopkins, right? It was around a smoking cessation and it was a new molecule, you know, obviously, you know, Myco is the name of it, you know, Myco, whatever, 008888, right? <laughs> um, so one could gather that it's probably going to be doing a 5-HT2A uh, play and it's based on some mycology um, or psilocybin or psilocin, um, but it might just be that people are like, oh, that's great, because the narrative makes sense, right? It's right. just like sometimes it takes a few weeks, one. And then, of course, if it's a trial, this is like the beginning. I mean, it's fully positive, but is that enough to move the needle versus, you know, we just completed a phase three with X amount of people, and we're about to, you know, uh, get it into uh, the global market. So... I think it's, um, again, fully positive and, you know, with this kind of stuff, which you're, you know, expert in on all things capital markets, you know, sometimes you have the greatest news and the stock goes down, <laughs> you know, like how does that happen? So um, the little I've followed on, you know, that and the general consensus is, you know, thumbs up, bravo, can't wait to see the data, which is, you know, becoming a hurry up and wait game for a lot of companies, right? Yeah, that's true. I guess being in you know the capital markets and, and knowing sometimes things that do move move the needle on these stocks, um, yeah, it's weird. Sometimes you see something and it it's not relevant at all, you know. And there's yeah. someone putting out a bunch of press releases that are that that have that are they have no <laughs> no it have nothing to do with the value of the, of the company. Um, yeah. I guess. For I mean, I'm definitely. I, I, sorry to interrupt because I think there's like an underlying, like a question before the question around smoking cessation, and like how will they design these trials where you know there's a prominence and uh, microdosing, um, and the jury's still out on that. But I think there's enough anecdotal evidence, and um, you know, even the trials that go back. 50 plus years ago around, Hey, I was doing this macro dose of this psychedelic and it changed these behaviors in life. But the underlying question is how much of it is, you know, the chemical, the placebo, and then, you know, the catharsis, like, you know, personally, and like the majority of the literature you read around any psychedelic and certainly a classical psychedelic is, you know, people get that respite, that moment of like, Hey, I'm doing something that's not helpful to my health or my family or my life. So I'm curious, like definitely like on how trials are designed in general, but that's something that's really hard to quantify, qualify. Right. But I know, I just know a lot of people are like, yeah, it could have been, you know, neuroplasticity, but I saw my life and I saw these choices and I had the freedom to change. So in that moment, you know, certainly on the macro, it's like, wow, I've been ingesting, you know, 20 of these sticks a day that are probably going to lead to cancer. Don't help my health. Don't help my digestion. Don't help my metabolism. Why am I doing this? 
So it's, it's really interesting, like what's in the molecule and what's outside of the molecule and what's the trip and how much integration is necessary. But that's not your question. It's just kind of underlying it. When you look at the data, how much of it will that are designed for, you know, a macro dose, even if it's a new, new compound entity uh, based on and or, you know, a unique protocol around a classical psychedelic um, that gives that individual the opportunity to like, oh, 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 of course <laughs> I'm not going to do that anymore, right? <laughs> it would be pretty, you know, pretty fascinating to see this play out the way I would like to see it play out in that it does prove successful um, and it would help a lot of people from an, as an investor though, I look at this and I think if the, if the, the primary solution right now is, has a 30% success rate, even if you doubled that, you know, yeah. the, I mean, the smoking cessation market is a billion dollar market globally. Yeah. I mean, multi-billion dollar market. So um, the, when I look at what Midison is doing, it's almost like, is this one of those situations you think where let's say they get through these trials and everything looks good. They don't even have to move forward. Maybe just another company comes along and just acquires them and say, Oh, absolutely. And I would even push back the difference from like 30% in drug trials or like, you know, if you look on, you know, uh, you know, the efficacy rate of current uh, treatment and addiction centers, right. It's like single digit. <laughs> You know, so even another 1%, so if it's from 30 to 31%, yeah. and you extrapolate that into global society, um, like that becomes really significant. It's kind of like, okay, let me download everything from Rand Corporation on uh, efficacy because, you know, whenever I read anything at that policy level, and I, you know, remember it's statistically significant, when I first started reading uh, studies like this, it was like, statistically significant wait it's like 0.0001% but that's <laughs> significant because of how broad it is so uh, you know 30% is so much better than any of the current paradigms for opioid addiction for example which is you know naltrexone methadone some, you know suboxone etc like to even get to 10% would be good so i kind of look at that 30% and go like yeah that would be an f in college but that's 30 out of 100 people so even 31 out of 100 would be incredible. And, you know, some of the results coming out, 60 out of 100 that will benefit um, from whether it's Midasin or other companies, you know, chasing or focusing on, you know, the indication around nicotine addiction. Um, even 1%, I would think, is, you know, both the right thing to do. Um, and that should move the needle statistically once it gets into market. That's a really good point. You know, the thing with smoking, too, is like it's one of those things that I feel like there's less stigma attached to people who want to quit. You know, you talk about people yeah. who are addicted to heroin. Um, there is a stigma attached to that person. You know, oftentimes they're looked down upon, they're criminals, they're dirty or whatever. And really, they're just sick. Um, but, you know, you can kind of say the same thing for people who smoke. It's like you have an yeah. addiction. Um, and it's it's easier to, for some reason, to look at a person who smokes cigarettes and say, okay, I really need that. I, I would be, I would love to have something to help this person. And I think that carries over to the policy side too, where if you're talking about politicians, imagine for a moment, there's somebody running for office and they say, hey, you know what? I want to support this, um, this research that's going to help people, um, you know, quit smoking. Uh, 
they say that versus I want to support something that's going to help people quit heroin. A lot of people yeah. are like, ah, whatever, you know, but if you say yeah. smoking, I think maybe because it affects more people directly, um, mm-hmm. I, I would guess. Um, yeah. And it's in public domain. And to your point, it doesn't have that stigma and there's still, you know, you go to other countries and, you know, they don't have the same marketing laws, but it's still like, you know, there's still kind of that, Hey, it's cool. It's edgy. I yeah. mean, I've seen it. It's weird. Like, it's, how is how are they still getting away with that? Um, you know, then diving a little deeper into the, you know, big tobacco and lobbying firms and, you know, political <laughs> contributions, right? right? I don't know anybody, um, you know, certainly on the opiate side. I mean, certainly like the Sackler family has been in the news, of course. Right. And if you look at their political contributions, but I don't know anybody who's, you know, I don't know a cartel who's made a direct political investment into <laughs> you know, a candidate, um, yet I'm sure there's some level of that. Um, but maybe that's, that's a topic for another <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I don't want to assume anything about right. everyone. So, well, in terms of policy, um, I don't know if you saw this too. I, and I bring this up cause I know you're from Michigan. Um, mm-hmm. Kyle Yeager over at, uh, marijuana moments did a really good job at, at covering some of these stories. Mm-hmm. And he put out this article the other day, uh, it was titled, uh, Possessing and Cultivating Psychedelics Would Be Legalized in Michigan Under New Senate Bill. Um, goes on to say, uh, the legislation would amend state statute to exempt people from criminal penalties for such activities so as long as they're not receiving money or other valuable consideration for the entheogenic plant or fungus. And uh, this actually... Um, this includes, I mean, I find it includes, uh, the, the proposed list includes um, DMT, Ibogaine, Mescaline, Psilocybin, and Psilocin. Uh, do you know anything about what's going on in Michigan? Yeah, yeah, I've definitely talked to some, um, some friends and family there. It still like, seems like a fairly uh, newer bill sponsored by two Dems, I believe. Um, and, you know, from state to state, you know, everyone's looking at other states. So like, I remember kind of, you know, looking it over and going, oh, interesting. Let me see how this differs from the other 12 states who are looking at Oregon or Colorado or California, who, you know, West is always kind of led on, on decrim initiatives. Um, and it's definitely going to have more drafts. So I saw it was kind of like legal. It was, it was also in, it was both decrim, but it wasn't like full on legalization, like measure 109 in Oregon, but enough of that was in there so that one could charge for the integration services or, you know, in parlance, rec parlance would be trip sitting, right? Um, You could charge for that, but you can't charge for the actual psychedelic. So it's kind of that like DC joke. And I was just on a panel uh, last week with Melissa Lavasani um, you know, he's heading up uh, Decrim DC, um, which had, you know, a 76% approval rating, um, which was, you know, historical. Um, now she's doing Plant Medicine Coalition. But, you know, in that in that moment, it was like, you know, these really fine nuances of when is it legal? When is it Decrim? If it's Decrim, how much can some charge for this? Is it a grow gather gift model, but how are we going to grow it and move it? And it's still very um, uh, different from state to state, the nuances of it. So I think Michigan, you know, from what, uh, what I reviewed and the folks I, I spoke to are looking at others and what's working and what's not. But 
pretty much across the board, people are, at least on the decrim, on the criminal justice side, saying this is wrong. Now the hard work comes in of like, how, is this going to be regulated? If it is, who's going to do it? Or is it a pseudo-regulation where, again, I remember from Michigan, though they were pondering of allowing for the, uh, it was like language, like reasonable fee, right? For spiritual counseling or integration work, right? So it's like, okay, great. You know, you've see, we've seen where that's broken down before. Great. My fee is 50 grand for the trip sit. And here's, you know, 10 pounds of Jedi mind fuck for free. So, you know, there'll be a lot of maneuvering um, from state to state to state. Um, until, you know, know, what is Jedi mind fuck? Oh, I'm sorry. That would be um, a just, I would say a, uh, you know, a Salasabi de jour, a, the mushroom that's uh, very popular right now in the gray underground kind of mycology uh, community, if you will. Um, and there's, you know, there's hundreds upon hundreds. So, you know, since you had made reference to marijuana and marijuana moment, like in cannabis, there's different strains and, you know, types. Um, same thing exists in, in the world of mycology under, you know, um, the psychedelic mushrooms, if you will. So that's just the name of one that was, uh, I don't know if it was an actual Jedi who named it, because <laughs> I think they're fictitious or an ode to Jedis, uh, who again, I believe are fictitious. I've never met a Jedi yet, uh, but you know, the day is young, so. <laughs> so do you think that there's a political appetite in Michigan for this? Do you think it's, it's doable or anything along these lines? Because I'll be honest, when, when Michigan legalized cannabis, I was a bit surprised. I knew there was a, yeah. a really strong market for cannabis there, um, but I didn't know if it had the political support, and it turned out that it did. Uh, do you think yeah. that it still exists in terms of psychedelics? I, absolutely, absolutely. And I remember, I mean, I remember, you know, when I was operating a dispensary under Proposition 215 in California before it went wrecked there, uh, Michigan was the second largest state under medical, you know. And I think everybody knows that, you know, there's great efficacy in the, the medical marijuana for a host of indications, but a lot of the laws said, hey, it has to be medical, even though some of those users were really just recreational, but they still got a script from a doctor, a recommendation, you know, the verbatim is uh, different from state to state, but, you know, looking at how, um, how medical marijuana first rolled out in Michigan, it was to me a no brainer because it was like, Oh, look at all, like, this is second only to California at the time, which, you know, had the lead. I mean, this is going back a while. And then, of course, you know, um, I, I, it's hard to say I'm from Michigan um, or even use Michigan because it's the upper peninsula of Michigan. And for those who um, have ever been there, it's like, it's not just, it shouldn't just be its own state. It should be its own country. So it's still under Michigan, but it's close to like, you know, I remember in Chicago, we'd always drive up through Wisconsin and it was like, oh, where do you live? Michigan. Oh, I do too. And they'd be like, I'd be like, you know, Iron Mountain, Crystal Falls, and, you know, Geobeck County. And they'd be like, is that near Detroit? <laughs> I'm like, no, Chicago is closer to Detroit than, you know, the UP. Yeah. Hey. Anyway. Um, but no, I've, I've kind of watched, uh, you know, the Upper Peninsula, and I mean, all of Michigan, obviously, adopt and be really measured on some of le the legislation that started with cannabis. So see no reason um, why that the more progressive states will 
really move the needle and are watching, you know, Measure 109 closely, watching all the initiatives, whether it's, you know, full-on legalization with psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy or it's a decrim with an element where, again, like in Michigan, reasonable fee for related services in conjunction with, like, that kind of language. Right. Um, but, yeah, we'll see. Uh, it, it should be exciting and interesting how it, how it plays out. Well, it's all, it's, you know, it's, it's just great, you know, from the standpoint of, um, you know, just wanting to see people have access to this medicine without yeah. the fear of violence. You know, or, yeah. yeah. Um, and of course, we've talked about this before, too, and the fact that the policy is a driver um, and it's, it's good for the overall market, um, even though Definitely. we're really talking about most of these companies working with the FDA, going through clinical trials. Um, it, it's not that it's necessary to have the policy support, but it helps a lot. Absolutely. And like, we don't know, we don't know how this is going to play out. You know, the current narrative in the fund and, you know, my personal current hypothesis is, you know, the rec and the decrim side will still be a drop in the ocean as the data comes out and, you know, displaces, you know, the hundred billion dollar bucket of SSRIs you know, which have had no innovation, but you know, wait a minute, maybe all of a sudden there's another measure 109 or there's other states moving the needle faster under the same context of there's integration and there's work that's to be done. And it's not rec, it's not legal, but will allow for the pseudo decrim legal with psychotherapeutic support. And, you know, the 14th amendment's a pretty powerful thing. So from a capital markets perspective, we're always looking at both. Because you don't know. I, I don't think it's one or the other. It's definitely both. Mm -hmm. And where I sit right now is like definitely the, you know, quote unquote, medicalization, regulatory, FDA, let's get this in something where your doctor feels com comfortable prescribing this over an antidepressant or whatever the smoking sensation medication is today. But it very well could go the other route faster. Um, and you're seeing that you're seeing, you know, the people's voice and the votes on decrim move really fast. So it's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out. And I think there's capital market opportunities in both. And I think my hypothesis could shift in a matter of months. Right. Um, I mean, that would be a big deal if it did, but right. it could, you know, I know what you're saying. And I think that's an interesting thing about this market too, is like you do have to be flexible. You have to understand that things change so quickly. Um, yeah. so, you know, if you are just investing in public market, part, public markets, um, you know, something may affect, uh, a company that's working with psilocybin a certain way or LSD or whatever it may be, whatever the molecule is, or maybe it's just like a delivery mechanism, you know, yeah. uh, maybe someone approves a new delivery mechanism and it completely mm -hmm. changes the game. So you do have to be flexible, but, um, if you can be flexible, uh, you can kind of jump on those opportunities and certainly do do quite well. Um, so that's that's it for today. Uh, pleasure once again, Simeon, to to get your knowledge on all of this. Um, I will continue to watch uh, how things play out with Midasin and the Hopkins trial, and of course, what's happening in Michigan as well. Uh, so until next time, be well. Okay, thank you, Jeff. Bye bye. <laughs>